Hello and welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there no, are no point at all. If you like what you hear, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to send in any questions or comments. Today it's Monday, December 28th, and I've got Dan. Hello. And Nicholas. Howdy. So how are you all feeling about the stimulus bill? Are you surprised that Trump signed it? No. Uh, my, my inclination is that the, again, I'm out of the loop when it comes to this, but my inclination is that the white house was kind of trying to weigh in in some of the negotiations. And then at the last minute, there was probably a disconnect as usual between president Trump and, and his sort of white house liaison team. And I think he kind of realized what the, where the negotiations were going to, and, and he, he jumped in and decided to make a veto threat, which he ended up backing down. Yeah, I, I think there was too much momentum in these big sort of appropriations bills and COVID relief bills to for him to force a renegotiation. I, I really don't think the forces were at play to do that. So do you think that um, this has been somewhat of a win for Democratic candidates or a win for America? It seems like that, especially things like the um, now that they're debating the $2,000 increase to the relief bill, that a lot of Republicans are sort of having to come further over to positions than they would like to. Yeah, I do think that the a lot of I saw a lot of Republican talking points saying that, well, why are we giving foreign aid to certain countries in this bill? And, you know, there were some programs going to Oman and various countries. And, and I, I think there's a confusion that it was a an appropriations bill tacked on to a covid relief bill and an appropriations bills have, you know, state and foreign ops. Uh, a lot of other programming in there that that is a, is usually a must pass. So I, I feel like there was a disconnect between what type of bill the COVID relief act was. Well, Dan was explaining last week about how it's sort of just par for the course now that the only way to get these passed are to, to be done in secret at the very last second and then for people to just stuff them with pet projects. And I was reading up on some of the stuff that's in it and it's it's a strange mixed bag, like stuff like hydrofluorocarbon regulations made it in and things like uh one of the big notes is that there's a change to the policies around surprise insurance bill changes and then there's also things like they're going to establish a women's history museum at the smithsonian there's also money put toward um eradicating the asian giant hornet so it's just it's it's pretty wild how much stuff that's been debated for years all of a sudden in one fell swoop is being put in I, I was reading also that mitch mcconnell put in all these things about horse racing regulations that he's been fighting about and hand wrangling over for for years it's bizarre how much things seem to have changed just sort of overnight or how quickly the political momentum is just shifting into this new era mm. i mean yeah i mean, the big thing going back to your first question is there's nothing trump likes to do more than create a crisis out of nothing that revolves around him that he then solves by just backing away again, which is what he did around this whole stimulus deal. He's like, I might not sign it. Breaking news. A lot to happen. Tune in. I've decided <laughs> to sign it. And it's like, what happened? What was the change? What, you know, from not signing it to signing it, he got three days of media coverage about him and then he signed it and then he went golfing again. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of amazing that, you know, Earlier this year, people giving Nancy Pelosi a hard time because she has fancy ice cream and a fancy refrigerator, and we have the government's about to shut down. There is an ongoing pandemic, and that they're trying to negotiate, 
and we're trying to get troop ra- pay raises for the troops. And President Trump is waited a couple days to sign it, so unemployment checks last. Well, that the pay uh, raise for the troops. Um, Pence is in that- Vail, and the president is on a golf course in Palm Beach. So, I think the like party of the workers. I think it's just mm-hmm. an amazing uh, affront to everyone's intelligence. Yeah, wait, why has he refused to, or why is he vetoing the military bill? So there's two bills. The COVID there's one, bill we is... definitely spend way too much money on the military, oh, and God. Trump is one of his wiser positions, as he realizes that that's an asinine waste of uh, money, but he also didn't really do anything about it, so I don't know. He's just, loves to, he, every time you veto something, he's just in the know. And I do think he's already running for 2024. So he's trying to start positioning himself. Doesn't that just apart. like hurt his own party though? That he's, I just don't understand his tactics. He seems so schizophrenic. I'm not so, sure if he's like a capital R Republican. I think he's a Trumpist um, first. And the number one rule of Trump is attention. Yeah. I mean, sure. The, so you're, there, there's two bills. There's the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, which is the defense authorization bill that Trump has vetoed because he wanted to include the repeal of uh, Section 230, which is, uh, forgive me, totally I don't know unrelated. the overarching law that it, it's in, but it, it's, it would essentially it's apply It's the renaming of the... Oh, I thought it, I, I thought it was know. about the well, not base yeah, there's there's the renaming that, 10 but, army yeah. bases that are named after Confederate generals like Fort Bragg and Fort Benning, but the seemingly the thing that he's been tweeting more about is this non-germane to defense policy repeal of section 230, which would essentially apply libel libel laws to the internet so you could sort of not like, even that's a thing. It's like this has become this like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and all these people complain that they're being censored on Facebook when the top 25 Facebook posts are always crazy Republican things. So sorry, they're just not popular enough to make it and beat Dan Bongino um, and crew. <laughs> but it's like, that, that's their issue. Diamond and Silk. Diamond and Silk, right, exactly. So I whatever. But Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act is go. about you have immunity as a platform from censoring things. So you can take things down and there's no ability to sue you for taking something down. So, for example, you are Twitter or Facebook, and there is offensive content on your website. You can take it down, and no one can sue you because you are just a platform, and you have immunity from from suit. And it's become a rallying cry of some liberal uh, legal academic academics and then the Senate fringe right of saying we're being censored or we're not censoring enough, mm-hmm. and so we should repeal Section 230, which Josh I think is fine. Josh Hawley and co. But I think that's fine. I mean, I think, I don't think it's a huge deal one way or the other. I think there's a lot of, I think it's a little bandied about, but Trump is mad at all the media companies for saying his claims that he won the election are fake. And so he would like to get back at them by repealing Section 230. Dan, what do you think about the $2,000 check? Seems like it's uh, putting Senate Republicans in a pretty difficult position. And it also seems like it's, a pretty random number that Trump pulled out of a hat and then it just made it in onto the House floor and passed almost immediately. Yeah, it is putting the Senate Republicans in a tough spot of do you want to help average Americans or do you want to help just corporations? And that is the ultimate difficult choice for them because they love to talk a great game about how they're these like amazing humanitarians and Rubio does his daily Jesus quote. Um, that he tweets out, but then when there's anything to actually help the poor, he votes no, or he's just off the radar. 
and has no opinion. So I'm very curious to see how he, he votes on this. I would expect well, that his courageous self will say no or abstain or something like that. It seems like there's going to be this blanket firewall statement from Republicans saying that this will just bring up a huge uh, deficit crisis, and we this is just going to start new problems going forward. So I don't think it's going to pass personally, but I also, it it's just amazing how Trump so obviously for his legacy is trying to give people money where before he had all this skepticism about things and now he's just totally i i guess he's he's always been somewhat okay with giving people hard cash I think but that's his whole, yeah i mean that's like he said i will help the farmers i'll just give them money i will help the corporations i'll just give them money i will help you know the middle east nations that are questionably democratic i'll just give them money that's his you know hmm. total MO. well didn't obama give money to iran didn't he unfreeze a lot of assets to Iran as well? Right. Is that giving money or yeah, I believe there their were, own money? There was right? a is that, plane the... that landed in Tehran, which had suitcases full of cash. Right. And we have done the exact same thing to every Middle East nation. I think the difference is, are you giving U.S. money to Middle East nations or not? Right. That's the big difference that Trump is literally saying, your money, Nick, should go to Qatar to buy more fighter planes from the U.S. so that they can bomb innocent civilians. We don't. Uh, that's we're not giving foreign aid to Qatar or Saudi. I mean, we give military assistance and training, but they pay for it. Isn't that foreign aid? Do they really pay for all of it? They do. Okay. Yeah, the Saudis pay. Pay. They use FMS foreign military sales. The Saudis. I mean, we give we give foreign really? we give aid to countries in the Middle East like Egypt, Jordan, but the the Gulf countries that can afford it pay outright. I mean, we do provide training, but they pay for it. Right. I mean, I, I trained with two Saudi National Guardsmen. So, I mean, I, I don't, we're not, we're helping Saudi Arabia, UAE, back terrorist group called the Houthis in Yemen. You know, I, I know that there's been some human rights issues in that conflict, tremendous human rights issues on both sides. But uh, to, to ignore the fact that there's an Iranian-backed proxy terrorist group in Yemen is, is I think, foolhardy. I just love that we were trying to talk about stimulus checks and Nick somehow brought that conversation to the Houthi rebels in Yemen. Well, <laughs> I guess everything connects at some level. It's all part of the U.S. budget, after all. I was just trying to point out that Trump seems to just behave with so little nuance. Like, none of the stuff in the stimulus bill was very interesting to him, except for the $2,000 check. I, I do agree with Dan on the farmers. The So... Trump used this authority in the farm bill called the Commodity Credit Commodities Credit Corporation, which is like a $30 billion fund that the president can tap into and give out money to farmers if there's like an emergency without congressional approval. And he abused it because the farmers got hit hard by retribute retributive tariffs. Is that the right word? Like right, the counter tariffs to our stupid tariffs or whatever. Yeah, and so he just tapped into this $30 billion fund, which he's not supposed to for, I mean, it's, it's sort of his own self-inflicted wound. You know, that fund is to be used for, you know, if there's like a, some dust mite that kills crops or some tornado that destroys crops, and he's using it because he stupidly imposed stupid tariffs. Right, like the biggest form of socialism in America right now is Trump's farm policy, which I think is amazing that all the Republicans have absolutely no problem with, that we are Wait. just straight up sending money, buckets of money to people. Foreign policy or farm policy? Farm policy. Oh, farm policy. Is yeah. the most socialist agenda where it's just like, oh, we're just going to pay you for things that are just because we're trying to buy your vote. Then things like, you know, actual health care for 
everyone in America is a terrible thing. I think that the farm policy, unfortunately, I think there's a long history of of inefficient uh, USDA programs that are, you know, I'm I'm in favor of certain subsidies. I just think it's the way they're designed uh, are very antiquated. I think literally Congress passes this farm bill every five years. And if it doesn't, there's some like milk 1947 milk rationing program that comes into effect. And it's in law and statute that this this program exists. So essentially, if, if Congress doesn't get its act together and doesn't pass a farm bill, I think that the U.S. goes back to like 1940s milk rationing. And it's it's used as like this incentive kind of stick to force Congress to pass this farm bill. But it, it's completely antiquated. Isn't that losing its effect year after year that uh, the milk industry is deteriorating? Isn't everyone drinking like almond milk and soy milk now? Well, soy milk, interesting, soy milk and uh, all the milk alternatives are now labeled. They're not labeled as milk because Congress passed an amendment to a law that that forced non-dairy milk to not be called milk. So it's like almond silk or whatever it's called it's, it's, or, or soy silk or whatever the company's called they, they cannot call their product milk anymore that's a win for the dairy farmers definitely the most pressing issues that are facing our nation is the definition of milk and i'm glad we do spend time on things like that well, this was um, yeah, this was two or two years ago when they did no this, exactly but, yeah there's a lot of huge huge milestones from the trump administration i think the under the radar positive no i i uh, i'm a fan of all kinds of milk almond so well not really soy as much but chocolate milk what about like platypus milk or something you know i haven't tried that yet seth but that's uh that's more up your style yeah um, seth, that's insane one of the under the radar things that president trump will i feel like take credit for which he probably didn't even know he signed is that the stimulus covid package had one of the largest bipartisan energy bills and like most important probably thing for the future of the country that was kind of tucked into it where there was actual funding for carbon reduction technologies and alternate energies, which is huge, and some permanent changes to the Department of Energy to focus on the clean energy transition. So I think that's like maybe the one area to, that came out of this, that there's already movement to have another couple follow-on bills early in the Biden administration where there is actual bipartisan compromise on sustainable infrastructure and climate and clean energy. So that could be maybe the silver lining of this bill is that that group of people, Joe Manchin, first among them, I think, really have a working coalition that can get things done, which is huge. All right. I was hearing there's like a senator from West Wyoming who is very pro green energy policy. So what does that actually mean that they're like, are you providing West Virginia incentives? Or Wyoming? I thought I it was Wyoming. West Virginia. Well, maybe it's West probably Virginia. Joe Manchin, West Virginia. Yeah. No, I thought there was a Republican that supported the is bill. It, so Wyoming is Enzi, and then is Barrasso the other Wyoming senator? Yeah, yeah, Barrasso. That was in the article. They were saying mm. that he is a potential swing vote in the green energy debate going forward. The, his vote for this bill is sort of a signal, or people are taking it as a signal for a potential I mean, way forward. There's The best thing foreign policy for the United States is to become the dominant player in clean energy. That is the single best thing. If we cede that to China, that is like the most crucial foreign policy mistake we could make for the next generation, is if we own the energy transformation and are the leaders of that, then America's role in the world is secure for the next generation. And so we should be spending hundreds of billions of dollars a year on winning that race. And it is, the technology has come a long way, but the deployment and the scalability are still huge challenges and that should be 
one of the top three focuses for the government for the next decade. What should be the other two? Universal health care. Mm-hmm. They should rename milk or rename <laughs> soy milk. I would say ending the 15 million wars we're in would be a nice one. Ooh, and low blow. Well, so that I would be one, I, clean energy and yeah. healthcare. I think those would be great ones. Okay, yeah. I, I, if you, I'm just I, saying, I, the last two presidents have tried to end our Middle East wars and failed. So Joe Biden, who is just the always underestimated, I think could possibly do it, which would be amazing. Or could Joe Biden close Guantanamo, right? There are certain things. Joe Biden could mm-hmm. be, I think, the president to end the death penalty, which mm-hmm. is going to be amazing, right? I think he will commute all the death penalty sentences and work to end the death penalty in America and will maybe close Guantanamo and end the American torture regime mm-hmm. and maybe end our Middle East involvement. I can yeah. almost hear Nick about to say something about Joe Biden and China. Well, Sorry, Nick. I mean, I, I personally, I, I think that the number one danger in our society right now it isn't necessarily global warming. It's the res- democracy sort of under threat. Democracy is receding from parts of the world, including, you know, even some parts in Central Including Europe. the United States, right? Like the sure. president of the United States yeah. is asking his vice president and members of Congress mm-hmm. to overthrow the election results. And, and, and I, I will rebut Trump, you and say that the institutions have held and that will not happen and that the we will have a peaceful transition of power as we have done since the inception of our country. I I think just because the president as an individual is saying some inaccurate things and tweeting some very stupid things doesn't necessarily mean that we will not have a peaceful transition of power. So wait, what is going to happen on inauguration day? I I think think Trump will probably have some rally in Florida and call it a day. Right. I think it's definitely unclear. He comes back to the white house. Maybe he'll come back from January 6th and (laughs) force himself like onto the Senate floor when Pence is supposed to declare the election results. But I think the tough thing with that, Nick, is you need partners on the other side of the aisle. Like Joe Biden would love to have a pro-democracy agenda in America and around the world. And he will do that to the extent he can on the foreign policy side. But without willing partners in the United States, I think it's really hard. Right. And you say like, you know, let's say Senator Cruz, who's I think the biggest hypocrite on Hong Kong, who he went so crazy yeah. on Mark Cuban and that was on- bad. And then we tried to say, how about we admit all the Hong Kong refugees? And Ted Cruz said, no, I like democracy, but I hate refugees more. And so we can't admit the refugees. And that's the problem, right? You do have a Republican party. I wholeheartedly agree. It's so stupid. Um, I mean, they should be allowed. Their political refugees should be allowed in. I I, I think that, you know, Hong Kong is is an example that the number one foe, the, the biggest geopolitical challenge we're facing in the future, near future, is China. A rise of an of a of an aggressive, bellicose, imperialistic, revisionist China, and that is the canary in the coal mine is Hong Kong. I think you're going to see a very aggressive China make moves against Taiwan and and really test our partnerships and treaties in in, in the Pacific. And that if we, if we fail in the Pacific, we the the world and the freedom of movement and 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 world democracy is at risk. Uh, and I think you'll you'll definitely see a, a very dark period, a geopolitical period unseen since the 1930s and 40s descend upon the earth. And I am a steward. I think we should be good stewards of the environment, invest in green technology. But I do think that it's going to be I think the biggest challenges our country is going to face in your term is, is, is geopolitical and it's related to the Asia Pacific region. 
Uh, that being said, I do not think we should ignore the Middle East. I think that the Middle East has the potential for very, very bloody conflicts, including the use of nuclear weapons. And to see that happen, uh, I think, would be an utter catastrophe uh, and, and would lead to the deaths of millions of people. Uh, and I think we've had presidents like Barack Obama who've attempted to and President Trump who've attempted to ignore the Middle East and withdraw U.S. forces from the Middle East. And the only consequence to that I see is the is, is this massive bloodshed and an increase in refugees fleeing to Europe and elsewhere. And that's that's what you saw in Syria. Uh, I do think by Trump, uh, you know, increasing the military budget is one thing, but but I think there's another component to keeping the U.S. safe, and that's forward deployment and, and, and being engaged in the world. Yeah, but I think, as we've talked about on multiple episodes, that in my perspective, there needs to be a gradual global withdrawal from our military presence just in general. So the, the Middle East needs to fall in line with that overall strategy, even though, and I mean, there's some of our largest true presence in the world are in the Middle East, I would assume, in Afghanistan still. or That's I'm not sure true. There's it's Japan, Korea. Asia Pacific and Germany. Those aren't contested territories, but um, that's for a different podcast. So what should we talk about next week? What's what's going to happen between this week and next week? Oh, the Georgia election. God. That's going to happen like the day after. I mean, it looks uh, yeah. like that. It's looking good for both candidates, Democratic candidates, right? I mean, the last polls I was reading, it was Ossoff was up by like a point or two and Warnock was dead even or maybe it was the other way. Yeah, I think it's weird. I mean, I think that they're not necessarily the strongest candidates uh, either. I mean, as a Republican, I don't think that those two, our two senators are the strongest candidates, but I mean, they have baggage. But I also think that uh, Warnock has some baggage and I presume Ossoff has some baggage, although he's been sort of vetted already because he ran against Karen Handel a couple years ago. Uh, I, think I, I think it's Trump is really cutting it close with all of his antics here i would not be surprised if against all odds both of these races went democratic and that would change everything and it just feels like people have gotten so tired of politics that it is sort of if it's even possible to be skirting under the radar a little bit that this is about to go down and could sway everything all right till next week bye miss love you guys Thank you for doing this podcast. Big time. Happy holidays, everyone. Very excited. 2021 to a better year. Thank you for listening to this week's episode and happy early 2021. In the new year, we'll be trying to take the show toward more conspiracy theories. So please submit any questions or potential show topics.